0: Friday morning. Today is October 14th and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, I'm so blessed you're here. Be sure to tell your friends and loved ones that they, too, can be a part of the Thy Strong Word family by listening over the air on AM 850 in the St. Louis area, online at kfuo.org, or through their favorite podcasting app. And be sure to show some love to our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translation and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. Well, today is Friday, so you know what that means. Not only are we live and open to your calls at 800-730-2727, but I also begin the show with a dip into the old listener email bag. A quick one this morning from Kathleen, a listener on AM850. She writes, I just want to thank you for having your guest, Reverend Nabil Noor, on. What an inspiration, and I just love how adamant he is in his faith. May God grant all believers such strength and conviction. Thanks be to God for KFUO and for thy strong word. Thank you, Kathleen, for writing in. She's talking about last Friday's uh, October 7th episode on 1 Corinthians 14. It was titled Order in the Church. And Reverend Nabil Noor is a pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, uh, South Dakota. He's the fourth vice president of the LCMS. And I agree with our listener that Pastor Noor is a faithful servant and a great guest. So folks, I encourage you to go online and send me an email too. Ask a question, make a comment, or just say hello. It helps me to hear from you because you too are a part of the conversation. So email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, today we begin a brand new book. Heading into the Old Testament, we now take up The prophecy of Daniel. The book of Daniel is both a Sunday school favorite and a deep uh, apocalyptic, rather, discourse. You know, tales of Daniel and his friends surviving a fiery furnace, Daniel emerging unharmed from a lion's den. These things point to God's ability to protect his people. But Daniel also writes of mysterious dreams which carry a foreboding warning, a disembodied hand that writes cryptic messages on the wall, and visions of beasts which predict the falling of great kingdoms. All of these we'll investigate through the end of October. But this morning, our text is Daniel chapter 1. In this chapter, we're introduced to Daniel and his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as they are taken captive by the Babylonians. They were brought to the king's court to be trained, but They demonstrate their faithfulness to God, even in the face of great temptation to give into that lavish but sinful lifestyle of the Babylonians. So to help us begin our deep dive into the book of Daniel, I'm pleased to welcome my guest this morning, the Reverend Ryan Fairman, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin, and teacher at Wisconsin Valley Lutheran High School in nearby Masuni. Uh, Pastor Fairman, welcome to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thank you for having me on this morning.
0: Oh, it's great to have you on. Now, brother, I read somewhere that you are fond of conversations about theology over a good toasty pipe and with a pint of dark beer or black coffee. Well, it's 11 in the morning, so I presume you've chosen black coffee this morning.
1: It's black coffee and I'm indoors, so I'm not allowed to have my pipe. So,
0: well, one out of three, I suppose, isn't bad. We're happy to have but, you on. How is ministry? That's good has, theology can Zion
1: come Lutheran. without all that. We can we can have a good discussion regardless, right?
0: Yeah, well, at least I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, how is ministry going there at Zion Lutheran?
1: Uh, it's going great. Uh, it's, it's a small country church outside of the town of Wausau, so I'm surrounded by more dairy cattle than I am by people in my congregation usually. But it's snowing this morning.
0: Oh, wow. It's snowing up. So I'm in Minnesota. I'm a little ways from you Mm -hmm. in the southwestern corner of Minnesota. And we have chilly weather, but no snow. So I assume it's just a dusting, though. You guys aren't, you know, plowing yet.
1: We're not plowing yet, but it has been snowing all morning. So we're getting a foretaste of the winter to come.
0: (laughs) Wow. Well, I I like snow, so I look forward to it here. And uh, I, i have you grown? Did you grow up there? Is this a, a home for you, or did you get relocated to where you are at in Wisconsin?
1: Well, I'm actually from Wausau, Wisconsin. And so I'm even in the school district I grew up in with this congregation that I serve. So I'm not, none of my classmates are uh, members, but some of their parents are. So it's a little unexpected in some ways, but it's very good.
0: Sure. Well, I hope that you are a prophet with honor in your hometown. But, uh, I hope also that you bring some great discussion today. I'm sure you will. But before we get into the text, would you just open our time together with prayer?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and our minds to the study of the book of Daniel. Send us your Holy Spirit to open these scriptures and bless us in that spirit. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: Amen. So we are just now beginning this book. It's our first time covering it. Uh, you know, normally I would say, catch us up to where we've been so we can know where we're going, but we've not been anywhere yet. But maybe you still have some things you want to lay down before we read the text.
1: Sure. Uh, Daniel's kind of an interesting book. It's considered in many places in the world a dangerous book. In fact, if the country has some sort of misist Oftentimes, if they print a Bible, they will not allow Daniel in those Bibles because both of the example of courageous faithfulness under a pagan or a hostile government, as well as some of the end times things that it deals with predictions and really hopefulness, noting that all nations come to an end and uh, certain nations don't like to be reminded that they will come to an end. It's a dangerous book in another way. It's been misused in Christian history as the basis of for setting a date for the return of Jesus. So, for example, in the 1840s, a date was set uh, using some of the symbolic numbers in Daniel, and uh, that date was wrong. It's called the Great Disappointment. Everyone went to the hills and nothing happened. And then there was an incident in 1988, actually, a guy with a, I think his name is Weisnant, or wise nut, I call him, uh, former NASA <laughs> scientist who also used the book to calculate the date. I think it was 88 Reasons Jesus Was Going to Return in 1988. And I think it was in September, if I recall. Uh, and of course, he was, dis- was disappointed like they were in the 1840s. He was wrong. And so he did what we do in our GPS, recalculate uh, next year. And he was wrong again. So the book has been misused in some ways. That makes it dangerous. And it's also been Repressed in ways because it does give us a glimpse of what it is to live in a difficult cultural situation like Daniel was in. Yeah, and that last part that
0: you mentioned is also extremely important. Uh, how does how do believers deal with you know governments and authorities in uh, in in the context where they they aren't welcome or their views don't match the prevailing views of the society? So in addition to being censored and Dangerously and misused, I think it's also becoming uh, much more uh, valuable to us to see how God is in control over all things, even when we face, uh, you know, opposing forces, so to speak.
1: Yes, it's a great book and it's a great one to study. I'm glad that you are doing that. Yeah, I'm excited too. I tell you what, why don't we
0: go ahead and get started with the text? I'm going to read the first seven verses just to. Uh, Give us something to chew on. Here we go. Sure. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, I think it's fascinating, by the way, that we remember... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego more by their Babylonian names than their Hebrew names, but I'm sure we'll get to that. So here we have the text before us, just the first half of the chapter. Um, start us off with a conversation, you know, where what's going on here?
1: Sure. And probably the listeners should know that Daniel's kind of unusual in that it's written in two languages. And our first chapter is written in Hebrew, and the later chapters are, but the middle stories that everyone knows are written in Aramaic, which is a language that is kind of like a public language, like English is around the world. Uh, and so that does make it unusual. When I tried to tra- I learned Hebrew in seminary as we all do. And my first uh, attempt at translating was to be in Daniel just for fun. I liked the stories and I tried and I failed and I <laughs> took it to the Hebrew professor. And I said, what? I just, I, you said, I learned this stuff and I can't even get past the first line of Daniel chapter two. Uh, And he said, well, that's because it's an Aramaic, but back to one, I wonder, some of the book is public. Some of the book is for the, you know, believers to read. So that's, people should just know that. What's going on Um, back in, uh, oh, it's around 900s BC, uh, Israel kind of split in two. This is after Solomon was king into a Northern kingdom and a Southern kingdom, kingdom of Israel in the North and the kingdom of Judah in the South. And they had been kind of going along for about 19 kings worth. Uh, And scripture judges the kings of the north as bad. And eight of the kings of the south of 19 in the south as well were good. Uh, The northern kingdom had gotten taken away into exile by the Assyrians. It was the Assyrian policy to disperse people so that they would no longer be a people. And Assyria was pretty successful at that. They were pretty brutal. The Babylonians ended up taking over Assyria and they preferred to relocate groups of people or take the cream of the crop, but a little bit different procedure and it worked for them. But the world situation, if we went back to 609 BC, was this competition between Egypt and between Babylon is who's going to rule in that Middle Eastern area. And back in Israel, King, excuse me, Judah, uh, King Josiah, a good king, had died. He was defeated at a battle of Megiddo, and Jehoiakim became king. Jehoiakim was basically like the mafia. He was all about extortion, murder, greed, ran the, ran the place into the ground. And in 605, Babylon starts eating up Egyptian territory. They have a big battle up in what we would call Turkey. Today it's the Battle of Carchemish. And Nebuchadnezzar is crown prince and Nebuchadnezzar wins against the Egyptians and he chases them back down towards Egypt and what's between Turkey and Egypt of course Palestine the land of Israel and thus the kingdom of Judah and he it says here besieges basically uh Jerusalem it's 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 ripe for the picking Jehoiakim is not a strong king and so basically he you know wherever the wind is blowing he becomes a vassal a uh a servant state to Babylon. And so to do that, uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes some of the vessels of the house of God, takes some of the cream of uh, Judean society, young men and other workers there back with him. In fact, he has to run back north because his dad dies and he has to be crowned king. And so this first exile of the people of Judah, it's predicted by the other prophets, happens. The big one happens when the temple is destroyed a few years later. But this Daniel is part of this first group of the cream of the crop that is taken back to Babylon and to be Sifted, and there's other nations, Egyptians, other people all around. They're all taken back, so they can train the best and the brightest and the best looking. They want good looking people in court. It's kind of like Hollywood nowadays, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and and to do that, and and that's how Daniel gets where he is. It's it's a really blessed thing in this way. Note that in the text, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar besieges uh, Jerusalem, it says the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand. And so we find out right at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, who's in charge of things. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. It's and And it's
0: not Babylon. And I would say one of the overarching themes is that, you know, no matter what's going on from the view of us, right? So you have Nebuchadnezzar, the pride of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. He rules for something like over 40 years. Mm -hmm. And he he does. He has these great um I know, I know i mean great from his point of view these great abilities to go off and and conquest and, and and spread power but but yeah at the end of the day the lord is in charge both of judah which you know contained the lord's own people and the and the pagans around them i i just think that you're right that that verse 2 is so important um but uh, and i'm sure you'll get into it but then the vessels of the house of god now you mentioned that now, that comes mm-hmm. up later in Daniel. It's, it's important that we know how they got there because they get used later by a, another crown prince. But in this case, he takes them there. But could you explain um, a little bit more about what the purpose was? Is this just so that he could go and take these relics from their temple and put them on the shelves with the rest of his own relics for his gods? Or is he preserving them for uh, like altruistic reasons? It doesn't sound like Nebuchadnezzar. You know, why would he take those things?
1: Well, it was predicted, uh, and I, I think in Isaiah, but I could be wrong on that, that, that Jehoiakim's house was going to be emptied out. Uh, and so first of all, God is in charge of all this going on. But what is probably in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, because he takes it back to the the main temple, and a leader back then is also high priest, uh, maybe not in Judah but in other countries. You think of Egypt uh, in their pharaohs, their God kings in a sense, they have this connection to the gods. And so when Nebuchadnezzar takes over a town or basically a whole country like Judah, in his mind, he's saying that my God is stronger than your God. And so taking the vessels of the house, they're valuable, uh, they're beautiful, but really they're, they're brought up and put in a storehouse in the temple of his God to show that his God is most powerful. And of course, the text already tells us that's not really what's happening, but it is right. giving us a bit of the history uh, of what how those vessels get up there so that when we get to chapter 5, we can understand that. Uh, so that that that's why that's happening. And that's what would be going through a Babylonian mind, is that we're king, our gods are the best, where God is actually a God of All the nations and some of these kings are going to learn this
0: these details are also very useful uh, when we try to say listen you know these accounts of scripture they're they're not really for the purposes of giving us the whole history of what's going on in a chronological type of order Um, but they are to show us our god working throughout history but then you have those who are on the outside atheists and those who oppose god's word who will say well uh, even daniel you know well these things they were written well after the events and that's how he knows about them but then we we get this proof uh every now and then things like the uh the dead sea scrolls that show their dating to be a lot earlier than you know the critics would say we see details that match up in unprecedented ways such as the records we found in the 19th century that correlated a lot of these babylonian events so i just think it's a beautiful when God inspires these authors to write some of these details down, because while not every detail has some sort of hidden symbolism or, or even law or gospel behind it, they're often there to just fill in the story. But then they show us that these are, are happening to real people in real time and space. And I just I think that gives this this very earthy, um, um, cathartic kind of texture to the text that says, "Let this is real stuff. This isn't a, this isn't a Bible story.
1: Yeah, I always tell people uh, what's different about the Holy Bible compared to other books in other religions. I'd have them turn to the back of their Bible, and I say, what's back there? And they say, maps. And I say, yeah, right. we have maps. Why do we have maps? Because this stuff actually happened in a time and in a place.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good one, yeah.
1: So let's continue on. Uh, it, speaking of, of, of maybe not symbolism as much, but stuff that would perk up the readers ears at the time is, is bringing these vessels back to the land of Shinar. That's not what Nebuchadnezzar would call Babylon. This is, this is this kind of a near Iraq, this, the Southern Mesopotamia, but this is like old, old Testament stuff in Genesis. Shinar is where the tower of Babel was. Uh, And so that would kind of perk up their ears that the vessels of the house of the Lord are going to the place. Where the opposition to God was in the past considered the strongest, or the wickedness uh, against heaven was considered the strongest. So we're being set up to say, wow, you know, we're going to end up in a place that is just always been considered the worst, the most opposed to God. And how are the people going to deal with that? And of course, Daniel going there in 605 BC before the great exile, and, and as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is important because here Daniel starts to lay the framework down and and gets into civil service as others so that God's people are taken care of. Uh and and they while they are sad and they're in exile and they and they don't, you know, they don't want to be that way, God is still active and busy within the Babylonian Empire on behalf of his people. And that can remind us today that in spite of sometimes it seems like everything is going wrong or all of our institutions are falling apart, that God has his man, God has his woman in place, uh, and he is living and active, and we are not alone.
0: Yeah, I think that's an amazing thing to remember. You know, when we see all the things that eventually will happen even in the course of Daniel's record— we see God always at work, always in the background, and especially with what we'll cover after the break. You know, Daniel is being challenged to give in to, and, and that's the point, right? It's the point of the Babylonians to spread all these people out so that they, you know, matriculate, so that they get absorbed into the culture, and then there's no one mm-hmm. left to fight, fight to rebel against them. But but it's not just about that. It's about living in a culture that wants you to give up your God, to give up your faith. And uh, God puts people there and, and then equips them. And that equipping is also so important to understand that it's not just that he leaves us alone and says, hey, go out there and stand up to fiery furnaces and and lions' dens and all this other stuff. He equips us to be able to, to do that, to resist and be faithful.
1: Yeah, and you have all these stories which are wonderful, but Daniel's around for... Seventy, some years in exile, and there's just day by day faithfulness, as we'll see him in the book yeah. praying. um you know, going on, so these these young men are considered you know treasures to the Babylonians, some people that they can mold and form. They're going to take the wealth of the nations in a sense, and so they bring them and they bring them to the chief eunuch. So what a chief eunuch is is a is a man who has been emasculated. Sometimes by choice, sometimes not, but it's a pol- it's a political and a career move. Uh, and so he's in charge of the harems, uh, so that he, and he's uh, a eunuch, so that he cannot pass on his family line. It's the kings that's important, and he deals with the rest of the household. Uh, this guy is a, an important guy, and so he's in charge. They bring the youths; they they have no blemishes. Uh, there's some documents from the Babylonian courts that talk about things that make people. Unable to serve in the court, whether it is that they are missing a finger, or that their countenance, their their look is just not way, to, or they have, <laughs> this is for teenagers. These guys are they have a bunch of zits. They can't serve in the Babylonian court if their skin isn't clear. Wow. Uh, so they they pick these guys, they hand pick them, and they start to teach him. The language, uh, and the language means also kind of the customs, the history, and so on, both of courtly manners, but of basically what we would call magic, uh, in, in what they would do, so that they could be used to discern in court and other things. Uh, and and so it, it's interesting that these uh, young men go into this and they're going to learn this, but they're going to retain their faith. There, there is, they can. Take the culture in, but they're going to confess then their faith within that culture. And that's why they're considered ones with wisdom, because what the Babylonians don't quite get, but with what these young men know, is that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And that is a theme that's in the book as well. Hmm. So
0: they give them new names, as I alluded to at the top. And these new names, I assume, are part of the you know, the process of taking them and, you know, absorbing them into their own culture. Um, But why do you think it is that we remember them by their Babylonian names?
1: I think it's just how we tell the story. The way the text goes, they use their uh, Israelite names, their their biblical names, whenever they're talking amongst themselves. But when the when the tales shift to uh, the Babylonians or or later the Persians, as they're telling that and what happened, uh, they'll use the Babylonian names, and so that's that's so we like the the story of the three young men in the fiery furnace, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and it's just because that is the telling of Scripture. I think that's why we remember those names.
0: So they sure. themselves—that's that's how the story exist. gets told.
1: Yeah. And uh, there's a guy, uh, he's a great professor, uh, Andrew Steinman out of Concordia in Chicago, where he oh, was sure. there. Um, and he has a neat uh, description of these names that are here that we use, that actually they are not Babylonian names, but they are purposeful misspellings of the Babylonian names. Uh, so Beltajar. Uh, is, is Belshazzar. They, there's, they add extra letters in there to mar the pagan God names. So even when we use those names, we're still not using the Babylonian names, but we're, we're, we're almost in a sense making fun of them. And so they, hmm. the, they those are marred names. It's, it's a very, it's not a theory. It's, it's what's happening in the text, but it's an interesting little point to note, um, Speaking of which, just for fun, because I just thought it was fascinating when I was researching this, uh, Belshazzar, which is Daniel's name, actually appears in the records of Babylon in the years that Daniel is there operating. And they list in their records, his name, his Babylonian name, as like second to the king, as, as the chief advisor. So we actually have evidence for Daniel outside of the scriptures in the Babylonian's own writing.
0: Hmm. that's I very think that's interesting cool.
1: yeah yeah absolutely so, so yeah I, they, I
0: i go ahead i was gonna say i am a little familiar with the uh with that that idea of you know because we have belshazzar and then later on we have the crown prince uh belshazzar um but mm-hmm. it just is a is a name that means bell like you know take care of or protect the king um right and so yeah i can see that i can see that it would be odd for for me to though for them to to think about how they would then give Daniel a name that would be something so connected to their God, though. But I, I understand that for sure. Yeah, I get that.
1: Well, it's it's a domination thing. I mean, naming is important, as you know from scripture. God names things, and where he puts his name is important. And all of these young men are named with God. Like Daniel means God is my judge. And then right. God gives Adam the ability to name the animals. And so that's just, you know, I'm going to call you this. And there's a, frankly, a practical reason for this. It's when you bring in a bunch of foreigners, (laughs) what are you going to call them? I actually have a, uh, one of my students has a friend uh, who is an immigrant to this country. His name is Muhammad. And they all call him Mo because it's (laughs) easier to say that for them. Uh, than Muhammad. And in the same way, too, it's probably easier for the court and more comfortable for the court to use the Babylonian names than trying to pronounce on their tongue these Hebraic names.
0: Wow. Very interesting stuff, I tell you what. And, and it's that kind of stuff that we uh, love to get from our guests. But right now, we're going to take a pause and listen to these messages. Dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments when we return, Pastor Fairman and I will continue our investigation of Daniel 1. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City. Children who
1: are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org
0: forward 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Philbu. With me today is the Reverend Ryan Fairman, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin. Well, Pastor, before the break, you were already planting the seeds of a rabbit hole that I am undoubtedly going to be going down for the etymology of all of these names uh, after sure. the show. <laughs> uh, awesome, I love it. Is there anything else, though, that you want to make sure we bring up before we read the second half of the chapter and get that on the table?
1: Uh, I think we, we could just read the second half and see where it spins out.
0: Awesome. Here we go. I'll be reading Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 21. And this will be according to the English Standard Version. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were given to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, Now, talking about misusing Daniel, I'm certain there is somewhere out there a book called The Diet of Daniel or something like that, encouraging uh, vegetables and water and vegan foods to be the biblical diet of choice. But I don't think that's what's going on here. Why don't you start us off again?
1: True. Besides being a book that's misused for dating the end of the world and is a threat to the Marxist, it is also (laughs) a place where people get B-movie-level theology out of sometimes. Exactly. so... Yeah, the Daniel Diet, I've heard of that book too. You know, Daniel, uh, and and you see Daniel's leadership because we don't hear this with the other three uh, young men, but it's Daniel that resolves to do this. And, you know, they, they are trained three years in the learning of the Babylonians or really the Chaldeans, which is in the area that they're in. And they can look back in the scriptures and say, well, Moses was trained in all the learning and knowledge of the Egyptians. So, all right, we can do this too. This is like at the high school I teach, you know, we teach the theory evolution, not as true, but so that the students are familiar with it so that they can defend and answer about it when questions come. Or I teach my students in history about Marxism, not because it's a particularly good theory, but they should be familiar with it. And in the same way too. So they absorb that. They say, okay, we can do that. Moses did this. We can do this. The names, they get the names. And, and Daniel has his little rebellion in the book that he writes here because he, he slurs the names that they actually had. Um, but, but, okay, that's, what that's what's going to happen. And it's happened in other times and places where people have culturally two names. We see this in the gospel sometimes where someone's got a Greek name and someone's got a, a Hebrew name. But when it comes down to the food thing, uh, Daniel resolves that he's not going to defile himself. And there's theories that spin out all over the place. What, what is it about the meat and the wine? Um, is, it, is it that the meat was not kosher? Uh, the Babylonians did eat pigs. Is it not prepared in a, the way with, with the blood drained from it? But that doesn't explain the wine. But could the wine be offered to other gods? And people have a lot of different ideas on why Daniel decides to do this. But, you know, maybe the vegetables then aren't as objectionable. And vegetable there uh, in the Hebrew is referring also to grains. So he's having bread and vegetables. Uh, but they're offered too. There's there's grain offerings, both in, in the scriptures as well in other cultures. So we might not know the exact reason that this was a point of stress for Daniel. But he tells us that it's so that he would not defile himself. And so for some reason, this would defile him and this is his act of resistance to the culture he doesn't swallow the whole culture there is a line and uh and so it has nothing to do with what's more healthy for you uh and and i'll point out why that is in just a little bit but let's just go let's go and he he tells the chief eunuch i'm i'm not going to do this um and this that's a gutsy thing to do Because that could be interpreted as rebellion against the king. That that could be interpreted as treason. He could be killed right there. But the chief of the eunuchs, uh, God gives Daniel favor. So once again, God's in charge here. Daniel wants to be faithful. God honors this. And so the eunuch, the chief eunuch has compassion uh, on Daniel and does not take it as a wrong thing. And the chief eunuch says, look. This, is, this can be interpreted as an act of treason. And if I let you do it, it's going to be my head. I can't. And so then Daniel goes to someone underneath him and says, test this. Just give me 10 days to eat this way and see uh, how this turned out. And, and they do that. Uh, the, the, lower, uh, the lower person there allows him to do it. He does it. And after 10 days, their appearance is found better than everyone else. Uh, Why is their appearance better than everyone else? Not because they're eating bread and vegetables and refusing to eat wine, not because it's a vegetarian diet, but because God has given them favor. Now, I'll say honestly, I mean, (laughs) if you stop eating processed foods and eat a lot of natural foods, you're probably going to be better off. But that's not what Daniel's talking about. Right, right. right, it's It's talking about being faithful to God. Uh, And so God honors that in this case uh, for his purposes. It could be that Daniel said, look, we're going to honor God and not defile ourselves. So we're going to eat, you know, Cheetos just only for our (laughs) diet. And at the end of the time period, he would have probably looked fine because the point is that God is allowing this to take place so that he can have his man in the place he needs to. And he is honoring Don, uh, Daniel's faithfulness there.
0: Now, I don't want to lead us off on too big of a tangent, but just as a thought popped into my head, you sure. know, why is it that when people look at, say, the, the book of Daniel, and they're so interested in trying to date the coming of Christ or to come up with a new Daniel fasting diet so that you know, they can sell books? I, I, you know, and Maybe I just answered my question, but why is it that people seem to be so fascinated with the esoteric things that they feel like they can read into the Bible as opposed to what is clearly the plain reading. I mean, you're a very smart and accomplished pastor, but I think that it's the plain reading to say that God is in charge here. He flat out says it. So you don't have to have you know, degrees in theology to understand that the point of this is that God is, is showing uh, them his providence and protection. And yet people still want to read into it something that is just simply not there. Uh, So I'm just thinking about that, you know, is that the, is that the human nature to want to cling to things that are new and novel and esoteric or,
1: or what, what's going on there, you think? Well, we certainly like mysteries of that sort. Um, So there's some of that. I, I think, you know, to put it, the best construction on it, people truly look at the scriptures and say, this is God's word. This teaches me what I need for life. What can I get out of this and so they they start looking for the trees and they miss the forest mm. so the the impulse might be good this is for my life but as we like to get into the weeds uh they they get into that and they missed the bigger picture and well that so is, is a
0: much better construction than what i yeah, normally that's... put on it and, and so, Which... yeah
1: some people want to make money they're looking for stuff and things like that yeah. as for the dating of the book and you know dan and writing it in the end you know there's all kinds of these theories and stuff like that. And there are liberal scholars. And honestly, they are. They don't believe that miracles can happen. And so when Daniel has miracles listed, that can't happen. When there's predictions in the future, uh, that can't happen because you can't predict the future. Uh, There's a good uh, Lutheran satire video. uh, It's called Donald Connell, uh, I think, argue with Richard Dawkins about how people say, I don't believe in the resurrection. And thus they exclude any evidence of the resurrection. Well, I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe that there's a prophet that can tell the future. So I'm going to exclude the book. So it cannot be when it's written. But in Daniel, there's one thing that kind of seals the case. Um, Jesus in the book of Matthew mentions Daniel as the writer of the book. Mm. So the the case is closed. Right, exactly. You can spin out all your theories in the end, but Jesus literally mentions who this writer is. And we know when this is happening. Uh, So... So yeah, there's 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 various motives that people bring to it, but I think just people really want to hear from God, and and sometimes they just get wrapped up in in these other things and they miss the point. Um, so anyway, interesting, yeah. You know, as good aside, as as it goes on, there's something that you mentioned though with this esoteric, you know, predicting the future and stuff like that. That we find out in here, and at the end of the chapter that you read, it mentions that. Daniel and the rest are find, found 10 times better uh, than, than everyone else, which their the propositions, which is not going to make the magicians and the enchanters very excited no. uh, through the rest of the book. You don't like it when someone's promoted over you, especially some foreigner. Uh, but the 10 times, that is not a test that they took. That is not a quantitative measure. That is a symbolic number, meaning that they were just that supremely better than the rest of them.
0: And that's exactly you have to ask, you know, well, how do you measure 10 times better? Right. Yeah. But but there's a little
1: hint that, you know, we should be careful how we use numbers in here. There are times like when they they have this 10 days of eating vegetables, that it's a literal number. And there are times that the numbers are not going to be literal. And that's a little cue there.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that is great because that's the first thing that popped in my head. It's like, you know, how do you how do you measure that? You know, I guess you give them all a 100 tests and, you know, I don't know. You, you, the math <laughs> would just but no, obviously, 10 being very representative of a complete number that they were because they were guided by the one true God and because they had, you know, Yahweh's favor. Yeah, they're, they're obviously going to exceed uh, the, those who are there.
1: And, uh, um, well, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, think you said God's slaver. Go look at, look at 17, you know, it, it, God gave them the learning and the skill and all literature and the wisdom. And, and then he gives Daniel that little extra bit to have visions. Uh, and, and why he does that is simply because in that culture, that is what is needed for the position Daniel is going to fill. And so God gives exactly what they need, but it is going back to the gift of God. So you, you called me a smart guy, a wise guy, maybe, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> that, is, that is that is God's blessing. I can't take credit for that. Uh, whatever combination of life he has given me, he's, he's done that. and And even more so, we see that in Daniel. And it's good for people that are in positions and find themselves there to remember that, you know, God has given you the gift to hold that position. And what do you do with it? Well, it's going to be on the benefit of your neighbor, and especially here, the household of God, uh, that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to benefit.
0: And, and not to put too fine of a point on it, but Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, and they all were given by God's skill and literature and wisdom. And then as a result, they were all... Often put in the crosshairs of the king, having to interpret unfavorable interpretations, they were thrown into uh, fiery furnaces. Daniel's in a lion's den, etc., uh, mm-hmm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when God gifts you with these abilities and He presses you into service for your neighbor, that service, anytime, and this goes for every Christian. When you are out in a world that's hostile to you, it's not just going to be you know a leisure cruise. It's it's going to be Sometimes being tossed overboard and having to trust in God that he has a plan for you.
1: Yeah, and, and like I said, the, uh, the magicians, which is an Egyptian word, and the enchanters, which is more local Babylonian word, you know, they're not happy about this situation. And when, you know, Daniel and the rest of them, when things come along and they use the skills God gave them, they tell the truth. They don't lie. And it gets them into big trouble. And there's going to be times where we go out and we're speaking in a more public forum. I mean, this is a very public forum, but for for the people listening, that you have to tell the truth and you use the gifts God gives you. And and you confess the faith in a wise way, uh, in a a, a way that, that acknowledges the situation you're in, but at the same time, know that it's sometimes going to cause you trouble. And that's okay, because as we saw in the beginning of the book, God is in charge.
0: Yeah, and God is in charge even in the midst of uh, your troublesome times. And I go back to that because Daniel is a book that I've never taught a Bible study on. And I was speaking with another guest uh, about this topic off the air. And we were discussing that, yeah, you know, I'd never done it either. And sometimes it's because once you get past chapter six, it becomes very apocalyptic. And it's Mm -hmm. such a struggle to, you know, Curb people from trying to apply, you know, just some, frankly, you know, like Discovery Channel, Nostradamus type theories to this. And when you discover that, just like the book of Revelation, this is written by, uh, you know, by, by people, men of God at God's inspiration for the purposes of comforting Christians, that you don't have to be afraid of the scary imagery. A lot of this has already happened which gives testimony to not only the prophecy of Daniel but also to, you know, the 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 validity of of God's word. But yeah, these things are all for the building up of God's people. They, they're never designed to cause us to be uh, afraid or disheartened. And I think uh as I've been going through it for the purposes of this channel, I've learned uh, a lot, a lot.
1: Yeah, uh it the it's interesting, uh, Daniel and, and Revelation are linked. I think because at the end of Daniel, he has this uh, scroll, uh, this book that has to be closed up and it's not going to be opened. And then in, in Revelation, we end up with the, the scroll and the book being opened. Uh, but that kind of literature, when I was when I was growing up as a, as a teenager, it was kind of scary. I didn't want to read those parts of the Bible. Uh, but as I've matured in my faith and understanding, I've seen exactly what you have that this is given actually to encourage us. And it gives us a God's eye view of history and reminds us again that it is God who is over the Babylonians and he is over his people and he is over the Ukrainians and the Russians and the Americans and the Europeans and the Africans and so on and so forth. Uh, And so there's so many people, you know, we, we, we don't play big parts on the world scene. And yet God is there with us and for us. He sent Christ for us, and, and, and we're not alone in this. And there is purpose, there is meaning, and, and the little things, the gifts that you're given, whether it's working in the factory or, or working as a teacher, whatever it is, you know, God is right there with you. His purposes are being played out in each of those places, and we need not fear. Uh, we, You know, tough things happen, and, and it is a it is a difficult world to live in, but Christ came right into this to be with us. And so books like this encourage us to be courageous, to be wise, you know, and how we, how we tackle the culture, but in the same way to have that unbending core as Daniel does, he says, I will not yield on this point. And, and then to actually work within that culture, because Daniel is not only going to be working to preserve God's people, uh, to to be in that place of government for others to see uh, these Hebraic people, but also he is going to be an instrument of revelation to the very people that have captured him. And so, when we talked about all the end of Daniel being all all this, you know, all this interpretive stuff, that chapter seven uh, is still in Aramaic, and that chapter seven is all these judgments on the nations. And and Daniel tells kings about this, and, and it's there for everyone to read, so that in the end, even in the troubles that he experiences, the goal uh, is to turn people to the one God, the true God, uh, the God in whom we will find comfort and peace, uh, and the God who rules history.
0: When you talk about living in the pagan culture or living in the context of a culture that doesn't agree or support your faith. And you said, though, he works within that culture. I mean, he doesn't – he has this core, I think you said, but he still has to work – there's still a fourth commandment issue that we have to honor those that God has placed in authority over us. And he makes it clear in this first chapter that God has put King Nebuchadnezzar, the self-proclaimed god-king of the world, right, kind of like the Egyptians, Mm -hmm. uh, as as his ruler. And so it's this it's this tight tension between not wanting to defile himself, but also recognizing that this is God's doing. The reason why Jehoiakim is not the king anymore or Josiah, for that matter, the reason all these kings transition through time and kingdoms come and go as as the prophecies that he'll give or the visions he'll interpret will uh, will display is that he has to live in the moment. He can't just say, well, No thanks, King Nebuchadnezzar. I object to the way that you want to run things. So if you need me, I'll just leave and I'll be, you know, living my best life now out by myself. And that just wouldn't work. So he has to learn to be in the world, but not of it, to borrow a phrase from our Lord.
1: Mm -hmm. He has to balance the the first table of the law, the first three commandments, with that fourth commandment. Uh, and there are going to be times as you read through this book where. He will actually have to honor those first three above the fourth, and he will suffer for it. But God is good, and uh, God takes care of him. And there's even a point where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know, in the end, God is going to do what he's going to do. But that doesn't mean that we're going to worship the culture or the false gods. And, and you know, this Daniel, as you mentioned, Daniel's a real person living in a real time. He's got real stressors in his life. He's got that line of, how do I be faithful, and yet how do I honor the authorities that are here? And that's great because we're real people living in real time Mm -hmm. with real stressors, figuring out how do we honor the authorities in our lives and yet also remain faithful to God. And the book of Daniel helps us not necessarily always figure out our situation, but look at Daniel, look at some of these other exiles, see how they did it and know it can be done and know that as you are working this out, God is still with you. Folks
0: at home, I I hope you're hearing what our guest is saying because while Daniel is a fascinating book according to its very memorable stories and its apocalyptic visions and predictions, it is so practical to us today. And so if you've been tuning in because you want to hear our guests over the next few weeks, you know, break down the time seven times, times half a time and see how we're all going to date this to the end of the world, it's not going to happen because we look to see Christ in this message and we also look to see how God continues to be God. He's unmovable. So the same way he protected all of his people back then, he continues to preserve and protect us today. But we also see that there are sometimes consequences to standing for what's right. And those consequences are uh, sometimes worse than others, brother. We only have a few minutes left in the program, but I want to give you the rest of the time, anything else you want to share about this text, anything you want to do to connect it to Christ or to the gospel for our people, you basically have the floor for the next few minutes.
1: It's certainly hard not to jump ahead. It's such an exciting book, honestly, and there's so much good stuff in there. Um, What Daniel will talk about Christ later in the book he He will have some information It's exciting to get to get to that, but at in this very beginning portion, you know Daniel knows that God in heaven is with him. We have a further revelation uh the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Daniel would have loved to look into this, and maybe he maybe he did uh and, and it's not, it doesn't tell us there in his book but We Christ promises that he will be with us to the very end of the age. And so we need not fear what is going on in our lives. We just continue to turn our eyes to him. And so, again, the first chapter of this book sets out for the rest of the book, all those hints going forward, you know, the vessels of the house of God, the faithfulness, but we too live just like Daniel in the governing structures, the country, the place, the time that we are in. And just like Daniel, God is with us. Christ has come and he is indeed risen from the dead and the gates of hell will never prevail over the church. And so you will stand. And even if it would come to the point of the shedding of blood, our Lord is alive and he will resurrect us from the dead. There is nothing to fear when it comes to the future things. Uh, And so in the meantime, we remain faithful. We raise our families. We, you know, do our jobs and we love the people that are placed around us.
0: I'd like to thank my guests this morning. Oh, sorry. I'd like to thank my guests this morning. We're out of time. I wish we had so much more time to keep digging into this. But a pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin, and a teacher at Wisconsin Valley Lutheran High School. That's the Reverend Ryan Fairman. Pastor, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: God bless you. And thank you to dear listeners for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boone. Tune in tomorrow as we turn the page to Daniel chapter two. King Nebuchadnezzar is plagued with a dream that he can't understand. I wonder who will be able to help him interpret the dream. Tune in or read your Bibles to find out. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word.